Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Good morning, Asbury Church. It's great to be with you this morning. Unfortunately, I can't be there in person, but I'm looking forward to the day soon that I will be able to be with you in person. A huge thank you for your support of Tier Fund Canada and really investing in the lives of people around the world. Just as the pandemic was starting, I was actually in Ethiopia and I had the privilege of traveling and seeing our projects there. And I just want to start off today by showing you a video of one of the projects that I got to experience. In March of 2020, I was traveling in the Walaita region of southern Ethiopia, seeing some of the incredible work of our Tier Fund partner, Terapeza. Part of that experience was visiting churches who had engaged with the Church and Community Transformation Project, CCT. In the fall of 2018, a pilot project was started that involved 15 churches that Terapeza had identified. The training helped churches to realize their strengths and use those to address the challenges in their community. Various scripture passages help them to see God's heart for the poor and the idea of holistic ministry. So here we were on a hot afternoon, traveling down remote rural roads to meet one of those congregations who had taken the training. The Dagaga Lenda Kalahewit Church was nestled in some trees just off the road. We stepped out of the vehicles with the usual shouts of excitement from the kids in the neighborhood. Then the people of the church came through the gate and welcomed us with warm smiles and that unique Ethiopian handshake. Going through the gate, we saw their beautiful church, and the sign above the door gave us the first indication of the impact of the CCT training they had taken. Psalm 145, verse 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The second indicator was the small collection box fastened to a post next to the doorway. Here, offerings were taken to go directly to CCT. Stepping into the dimly lit building, we sat in a circle at the back of the church and heard their story. Pastor Mangetsu talked about the training experience and how he was so encouraged by God's heart for people. He explained how he had trained 16 people in the basic principles of CCT, and they had formed a working group. He told us that the congregation was 1,500 people, representing 250 households in this remote rural setting. Through the local church, they are helping the community to thrive. In just over a year, they have started two self-help groups. They have assisted in sending many kids to school. They have built three houses for widows. They have trained their own church members and others in the community in the basic principles of conservation agriculture. They have provided safety for vulnerable children, and they are regularly empowering and equipping 300 at-risk individuals in their community. The pastor told us that many people have discovered new life in Christ as a result of the church doing CCT in their community. Then Pastor Mangetsu pointed towards the end of the circle of church people and said, I want to introduce you to those three widows. This is Marta. Her house burnt down and we built her a new house. Her original house had 32 corrugated sheets and her new house has 42. This is Alma's. Her house had fallen down and was unfit to live in, so we built a new house for her and her children. This third widow had a new house built for her and her young family, as well as help with school fees. We broke into spontaneous clapping after those introductions. I fought back a tear, being so moved by the power of what they had done. 
The scripture from James 1 and 27 came to mind. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Pastor Bengetsu then led us towards the front of the building and a place behind the pulpit. As we looked down, we could see grain that had been collected. He explained that this area was under renovation to store food for the poor of their community. From their conservation agriculture project, they were able to collect surplus and distribute as needed. We left that church with a new appreciation for the power of CCT and the potential to transform communities. Thank you, Pastor Mangetsu and congregation, for being the hands and feet of Jesus. The thing that struck me the most as I visited with that church was their heart of compassion for people and especially the people of their community. They were living out God's concern for others. It was not a token thing, rather it had become ingrained in the life and rhythm of the church. God's heart is full of compassion for the poor and oppressed. We see that evidence throughout the pages of Scripture. I think back to the very beginning, Genesis and Exodus. Who did God use to be carriers of his grace forward? He used people that were enslaved in Egypt, and he used Moses to bring those people back to the promised land. And then, of course, the writer of Proverbs says that the one who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. When God came into the world, he came as the son of a poor Galilean carpenter and a teenage mother from an insignificant place in the mighty Roman Empire. And then this attitude carried forward into the DNA of the early church. They showed compassion for the poor and the disadvantaged. When the church sent Paul out on his second missionary journey, they sent him out with one mandate, Galatians 2.10, continue to remember the poor. And so the Bible carries this thread of God's heart of compassion for those in greatest need. The church in Ethiopia is living that out by building homes for widows, caring for orphans, and feeding the hungry. It has now become a part of their identity the word compassion comes from two Latin words, suffer and with. To show compassion means to suffer with someone in order to enter into a person's situation and become involved. Compassion is not a theoretical thing or an attitude, but it's a practical involvement. It involves doing something, not just simply thinking or saying. Compassion is a unique word. It's easy to confuse it with other things. Sometimes we confuse compassion with feeling sorry for someone. You know, here in Ottawa, many times you come to a street corner and there's a, a street person asking for money. And, and so maybe to help you feel betty, better or because you feel sorry for them, you, you give them a loony or a toonie and you carry on with your life. But that's not compassion. 
Or sometimes we uh, hear of a sad story from someone and so we, we show empathy and we, we empathize with their situation. But that's not compassion. The literal meaning of compassion is to suffer together. Compassion not only has this ability to feel another's pain, but it includes the ability to help the heart and the hands together. I'm always struck by the number of times in scripture that we see this being evidenced in the life of Christ, the way that Jesus treated people. Whether it was on the occasion when people came to Jesus with a sickness, you know, the friends letting their, their companion down through the roof or the many people who came to Jesus because they were sick. And there were many occasions when that happened and Jesus evidenced compassion. Or the mom or dad who came to Jesus grieving over the loss of a, of a child and in their intense grief and pain, Jesus evidences compassion. Or Jesus, as he heals the blind man, he shows compassion. Or how Jesus responded to the large groups of people who were following him when they were hungry and the disciples wanted to send the people away and Jesus looks on them with compassion and he has this desire to feed them. I want to take us quickly this morning to just one of those stories from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. We might typically think of this as just a piece of a scripture as the feeding of the 5,000, but I want to zero in on the verses of what happens before the feeding of the 5,000. First, we need to see the setting. It gives, it's given to us in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. There was a special relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. In all likelihood, they were distant relatives. Perhaps they grew up playing together. John had baptized Jesus and prepared the way for him. Jesus might have spent time actually learning from John the Baptist. There was this meaningful relationship between the two of them. Because of what had happened, the scripture goes on in verse 13, and it says, Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Today, if we want some alone time, we can easily get in our car and escape. But that wasn't, of course, the case at the time of Jesus. And at that time, if somebody wanted some alone time, one of the best ways to do it was to get out in a boat. You know, I, I think of celebrities and sometimes when celebrities are in a crowd and they want to escape, their entourage kind of rushes them into the waiting vehicle and they get in and the vehicle takes off and they're able to escape. Jesus wants to get away from the crowds. He wants to get away from the pressures and the demands of life. And so he escapes in a boat. He escapes the demands of always being with people. He wants to grieve in private. And so he withdraws to a solitary wilderness place. A very human response and reasonable action. 
But the context goes on and it says there's no escaping the crowds. The scripture says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. I imagine that as the the boat was pulling away, perhaps there was a a small group of of young people who saw this happening. You know, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that one everybody's following? Let's go and tell everybody that he's going out in a boat. They see the boat heading south, and so that's kind of the news they, they pass on. That's Jesus. That's the healer. That's the one everybody's looking for. Let's go and, and share the news. And so this news about Jesus spreads, and, and soon there's this large crowd on shore, you know, and perhaps they're looking out into the Sea of Galilee, and there's the boat, and as the boat's bobbing up and down, they're, they're following the boat. They're following Jesus. And so the the news spreads all across the region that Jesus is here. And so the crowds follow this little boat. And then we come to what I call the compassion verse, verse 14, where it says these things. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Let's pause for a second and and maybe put ourselves into the sandals of Jesus. How would you have felt if it were you? If you just got the news that your good friend had passed away? If you had been overwhelmed by the pressures and demands of your occupation? I think that most of us would want to retreat and be far away from people. Compassion to others would have been the last thing on our minds. And yet here is Jesus. He has compassion. The compassion of this verse centers around three actions. The first is this. Jesus landed. He's been out in the boat He's been processing his grief. I imagine that there was a time of intense prayer. Perhaps tears were shed at the loss of a dear friend. Feelings of weariness from constant ministry and the questions of the disciples, those incessant questions. Jesus was tired. And maybe it feels good to be alone. Solitude sometimes releases the pressures of life. It would have been easy for him to stay in the boat, avoid the crowds, and escape. You know, maybe even just pointing the boat towards the opposite shore. But the scripture says that Jesus landed. He put himself directly in the place where he was needed the most. The place of demands, the place of pressure, the place of of the cries of the people. He put himself in the middle of the greatest need. Just this past week at Tear Fund, we were talking about some of our history and and the many occasions when we had been in the place of, of greatest need. You know, when terrible things were unfolding, whether it was an earthquake or a tsunami or a flood or a famine, 
It was in those places that God wanted us to be, and he continues to want us to be. And so it is for you in your life, in your experience. God wants you to land in the places of great need where you are needed the most. We go on and we see a second action here, and it says that Jesus saw. Yes, he saw the crowd. Yes, he saw the curiosity and the fingers pointing at him. He saw the children. He saw the moms and dads. He saw the sick, the crippled, the blind and broken. He saw the heartache, the pain, the disappointments. He saw the lonely and the discouraged. He saw the fears. He saw the skeptics. Perhaps he even saw some religious leaders in the crowd, maybe even a a Roman soldier on the edge of the crowd looking in. He saw beyond outward appearance and pretension. He saw beyond social status and vocation. The scripture says he saw. He looked at people with the eyes of compassion. How do you see people? Often we see based on our own circumstances or we see based on the external and what we perceive or we see things out of where we are living now and and what maybe the pain that we are living in and the things that we're experiencing. It can be challenging to see the unknown and different. And yet Jesus saw. The third action that we see here is that Jesus healed. In this crowd that was following, there would have been those who were sick, perhaps crippled, diseased, blind, those with aches and pains of unknown origin. Matthew's gospel gives many examples of Jesus healing. Matthew 4 and 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness amongst the people. At that time, people associated sickness with sin. When Jesus healed a blind man, the disciples asked, John 9 and 2, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Or often they thought of the sick person as being possessed by an evil spirit. And so as Jesus stepped off the boat and walked into the crowd, there would have been illnesses from dirty water and unclean living conditions. There would have been people with festering cuts, open sores, and untreated wounds. There would have been all kinds of skin diseases and rashes, maybe even some who even just suspected that they had leprosy, the dreaded disease of the day, There would have been those suffering from mental illness and other hidden challenges. And many of these people lived with no relief from their ailments. There was no conveniences of modern medicine. And if you were lucky, perhaps you could get a herbal remedy. Certain pools of water, like the Pool of Siloam, were said to hold miraculous healing powers. If you could even afford to travel to those pools. And so when you heard of a miracle worker, it filled you with hope. 
I cannot help but ask questions like, did Jesus heal those who didn't even know they were sick? Did he heal the skeptics, the questioners? Jesus moved amongst the crowd and he healed. Jesus demonstrated a heart of compassion. Compassion often comes from firsthand experience of being in the place of need. Compassion. I love this word because it's an emotional word. It doesn't simply just describe an action, though that's a part of it. It also describes a feeling. The word compassion in the Greek is splanknitsomai, and it means literally to be moved at the heart of one's emotions. That is the word used here. It's the same word used when Jesus healed a blind man. It's the same word in the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15. It's the same word in Luke 15 in the parable of the lost son. Matthew is saying that Jesus felt for the needs of his followers. The nature of the good news of Jesus Christ is that God's compassion and mercy is extended to everyone in need. Jesus came into this world not only to save us from our sin, but to restore broken humanity back to wholeness. He came to heal the sick, feed the hungry, minister grace to the scourged. He came to break barriers of injustice and inequality, to challenge systems of unfairness. He came to help people become fully human. And so when I visited that church in Ethiopia, it was a great example of the compassion of Jesus at work. This did not come naturally to them, however. Originally, they only cared for the people within the walls of their church. They told me that they neglected many of the needs of their community. They admitted to me that their offerings were only to serve the needs of those in the congregation. Those outside the walls of the church did not have a favorable view of them. And so I asked, what changed? And Pastor Mangetsu described to me the process of learning with other pastors from the life of Jesus. He described studying the passages that spoke of holistic ministry and compassion. And then he came back to his congregation and they formed a compassion committee. Isn't that a wonderful committee? A compassion committee. And together as the compassion committee, they studied the life of Jesus. They started collecting money for those in need, separate from their regular offerings. They began to build homes for widows. They began to pay the school fees of orphans. And they collected food for those that were living in hunger. And slowly, this became a natural part of the life and rhythm 
of the church. And here's what's most exciting. Just like the first century church, God is adding daily to that congregation those who are being saved. And so our opportunity is to be carriers of God's heart of compassion. What might God be inviting you to today? It does not have to be complicated. I know that some of you already demonstrate beautifully compassion. It might begin with simply thinking of the ways that God has been compassionate to you. Do you remember when Jesus landed, saw your need, and healed you? Is there someone you know going through a tough time? How can you extend compassion? Maybe God is simply saying, get to know people. Sometimes we're so caught up in our own life that we fail and neglect to see the needs all around us. See people. What can you do together as a small group? What can the youth group do? What can the church do as a whole to demonstrate compassion? And then, of course, we can continue to invest in churches and pastors and people around the world who are living out Jesus in some of this world's most difficult and dangerous places. Is compassion easy? No. But aren't you thankful that we have the greatest example in Jesus Christ to show us the way? God bless you. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.